If you've been with us, we're in the book of uh, Nehemiah, and we're actually halfway through the book. We're now, uh, we met, we, last week we got to the transition point, chapter 7. And from chapter 7 on, uh, the book takes a dramatic turn. Um, the first seven chapters in the book of Nehemiah talk about Nehemiah and building the wall. From chapters 8 on, which is where we're going to start this morning, it talks about the spiritual growth of the children of Israel. So the focus now shifts. It shifts from external project stuff to internal kind of project stuff. And so we're going to see in the course of the next couple of weeks uh, a lot of areas that, that are challenging to us to look at our own walk, our own spiritual walk with God and things that we need to, to be honest about for ourselves. So um, a lot of truths in there. We're going to spend the, this morning on the first eight verses in chapter 8, and then next week you're going to see the result of uh, kind of what started here in the first eight verses. So um, as, they, a, a, as we start, you need to understand that up until chapter 7, Nehemiah has been the focus. Now we're going to be introduced to another character, Ezra, and Ezra is going to become really kind of the main character from the, the, the rest of this point on. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, here's the first verse. We'll start with a, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, and uh, here's what it says. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together <coughs> as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest, so he's both the scribe and a priest, if you'll notice, uh, brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. So this would have been children as well. Um, upon the first day of the seventh month. And then it goes on to the next verse. And it says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning, and morning in this culture would have started about 6 a.m., um, until midday, that would have been noon, uh, before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people that were attentive to the book of the law. So here's what happened. The people get together. Now, we, as, as we look at this passage, we get the idea that this is a spontaneous thing. This isn't like a big call to say, okay, on such and such a day we're going to meet. The people came to Ezra, and that's interesting. So we get the idea this is kind of an informal thing, where the people say, hey, Ezra, uh, we want you to, to get, get out the book of the law, the Moses. Now, that would have been the first five books of the Bible. So we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. Um, so in other words, let me put this in perspective. The people are asking Ezra to read to them the book of Numbers. Okay? And Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. They want to hear the word of God. Now, this is a little bit odd to us because we, we can't understand why they would do this in the context and all this thing. So let me try to help you understand and maybe put some things in perspective. You have to remember that 13 years before this event, Ezra had met with a group of people in Persia and said, I want to go back and rebuild the temple. And those people had went with Ezra. The reason they went with Ezra is because they wanted to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and worship. They got the temple rebuilt, and for 13 years, the walls outside of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt. They started on them, but they got stopped. So 13 years later, Nehemiah comes along, and he helps rebuild the walls, so now the city is secure once again. The temple's already been rebuilt. And a group of people are standing, and I don't want to make too much of this, but a lot of people like this idea that they're meeting at the water gate because in Scripture, often in the Bible, 
the Bible and water tend to go together. Um, the washing of the regeneration of the Word of God, they, they tend to be, so some people make a tie to that. But whatever the thing, they're, they're standing before the water gate and they say, hey, look, go get the books of the law, Ezra. Bring them out and read them to us. So right off the bat, once the city's been established, the first thing they want to focus on is the Word of God. Now, this is odd to us because we're in a culture where if I were to take a show, ask for a show of hands this morning, many of you have, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 Bibles in your home. But you need to understand that is a recent thing in this world. You need to understand that up until the 1500s, very few people had a copy of the Word of God. In this culture, at this time, when this is written, these would have been written on scrolls, uh, not a book like you and I have. It would have been piece, uh, a scroll usually of papyrus. So the, the, they have it, or animal skin. And the way it would have been written is what would happen is you would have the, an original copy, and they would take um, a, a scribe, and Ezra was a scribe, would sit down next to it and would copy word for word over. Um, and, and, and depending on what, what time frame you're looking at and who you're looking at, um, the scribes had a very meticulous job, and the scribes were incredibly, incredibly often uh, devoutly religious people, and they were incredibly detailed religious people. There are some accounts that when a scribe would um, uh, transfer it over side by side, that they would, for instance, in Hebrew, Hebrew has what we call jots and tittles. Those are little marks that look like uh, a backwards apostrophe or a dot here. And it said that some of the scribes, what they would do is they would, they would count how many characters and jots and tittles there were to the end of, say, line 39. Then they would go to their copy and they would say, okay, this had 67 or 242 uh, jots, tittles, and characters. And they go to end of line 39. And if those numbers didn't match, they would tear it up and start all over. They'd throw it away and start all over. Um, depending on uh, some of the scribes and some of the, the people who translated it had such a devout reverence before God. At certain words, they would do certain things. So if there were certain names of God, they would stop, they would put their pen down, they would go wash their hands. In some situations, they would actually put their pen down, they would go and take a bath because they looked at it as that was a sacred word to translate, was a sacred word to copy. And so they didn't want to make sure that they were clean before they copied that word. There are some words in the name of God where actually they would take three baths before they even wrote that word. In other words, they had this incredible, incredible um, desire to be authentic to it. At this time, you have very few copies that, that are, so, you know, these are, these are the writings of, uh, of Moses, and so they have been copied, and so now Ezra, so, so this is something that was incredibly sacred. Um, even to all the way up until about the 1500s, you need to understand that to have a copy of the Word of God was incredibly rare. Um, most cities, there would only be one Bible in a city. Um, and in some cases, the Bible was considered so special, they would chain it to the pulpit so that no one could steal it uh, because it was incredibly rare and, in, 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 and incredibly valuable. Um, it's interesting, when you look at the Jewish people, the Jewish people have an incredible reverence for the Word of God. Um, in, in, in the time of Christ, a Jewish person wouldn't step on a piece of, of, of paper on the ground for fear that the name of God was written on that paper. 
Um, I'll never forget when I was in Israel, and I've told this story often, but when I was in Israel, I wanted to buy a mezuzah. And that's a, if you ever go into a Jewish house, or you see, you'll see a little, little thing on the side of the door. And uh, inside of that is a, is a scroll, and, and on that's written the Shema. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter, the Lord our God is one, blah, 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 and it's written on that. And a Jewish person often will touch that to his lips and before they go into it, and there's a whole Bible idea behind that. And I wanted to buy a, I wanted to buy a mezuzah because I thought that was cool. I saw a little yarmulke, you know, the little thing goes on the back of your head. Um, I got all that kind of cool stuff. So I, I bought my little mezuzah, but I opened it up, and there wasn't a shima in it. There wasn't any writing in it. So I went to my... Uh, to the guide with us, and I said, I want to buy uh, the Shema. Where am I going to buy that? And he told me where to buy it, so I would go down to the store to, to, to buy one, and I paid like, I don't know, like 10, 15, 20 bucks for a brass mezuzah, and, and they were like, I said, I want the little scroll. Now, the little scroll is like this big and all tightly wound and stuff like that, and, he's, and it was like, it was going to be 100 bucks. And I'm like, 100 bucks? It would pay 15, 20 bucks for the mezuzah. And they explained to me, they said, the word of God is considered more valuable than the container that it's in, so therefore it's been blessed by the priest, so therefore it has more value. That's why it costs 100 bucks and the mezuzah is only 15, 20 bucks. And, you know, if you would think as a pastor, I'd go, oh, then I want the blessed one. And I said, I'm a Gentile. <laughs> <clears throat> so I don't care if the priest has blessed it. So I went to the Gentile store and bought one for a buck, and I stuck it in my, in my mezuzah, so... So if you ever see my mezuzah, it's got the dollar one in it. Um, you know, and, you know, I would like to get, you know, I'd like to be real religious here and go, oh, I bought the expensive one. I'm too cheap. So anyway, um, but but again, it, it conveys the idea of how much reverence they had for the Word of God, because they saw it as so valuable and so important. Um, and so the people came to Ezra and they said, Ezra, Ezra, could you read it? And you have to understand, in up until about the 1500s, okay. That was the only way people could listen to the Word of God. Because A, they couldn't afford it. It was way too expensive. And if they could afford it, they couldn't read it. Because many of them were illiterate. And often it was translated from the original language, which which were Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and had been translated into Latin. So therefore, you would have to know those four languages or, or Latin in order to be able to even read the Word of God. And most people couldn't. So the only option they had was to hear somebody read it to them. And by the way, you need to understand, that's the history of church and church architecture, by the way. Because you see, because people were illiterate and people couldn't afford it, the only way people could learn about God was to come to the church. So what the churches started doing is they started saying, this is going to be a place about teaching the Word of God and the stories of the Bible. So yes, we'll do it from a pulpit. Yes, we'll do it in the service. But we'll also do it with paintings. So if you go into, if you travel in Europe and you see all these paintings and these mosaics on ceilings and everything else, realize the reason they did that was that was to tell the Bible story to illiterate people. That was the purpose of stained glass windows. Because the stained glass windows would let people understand the Bible stories. So you go into these places, and so they have, they have statues, and they have um, windows, and they have ceilings. And the reason was, that was how they taught people the Bible. Um, because most of the people, that was the only way they could understand or embrace it. And this time, the only way they had, so that added the visual element to it. 
Up until then, they only had the audio, the audio part of it. They had to hear it. And that's by the way. Because the people were illiterate and couldn't read the Bible for themselves. That's how religion came in and became a political thing that got abused. Because they were able to tell the people what they wanted the people to know instead of what the Word of God said. And that's how, that's how, that's how church really corrupted itself was by getting tied into the politic thing and then, then weaving that into it. And so you have throughout the history, that, that was the whole thing of the Reformation, that was the whole thing of the Dark Ages, is, is all of that mixing together when it shouldn't have been mixed together like it was. So anyway, it, here in this story, what you have is you have these people saying, Ezra, Ezra, we want to hear it, we want to hear it, we want to hear it. And we get the impression that it wasn't something that they got to do a lot, but now that they were safe inside the walls of the city, they could focus on that. So they do. So they do. And then notice what happens next. Um, verse 4, here's what it says. And Ezra the scribe stood up on a pulpit of wood. So this is the first introduction we have to Ezra in, in, in this thing. He's now going to become a focus from here on out. Nehemiah steps into the background. And he stood on a pulpit of wood. It's the first time in the Bible we ever have a reference of a pulpit um, or platform, which they made for that purpose. So they actually made a spot so that everybody could see and hear him. And it says, and then it goes on, it says, and beside him stood, and there's this whole list of names, uh, Mattiah, Shema, Anna, Urijah, Hilakah, Messiah, on his right hand, on his left hand, a whole bunch of other names, okay? I'm not even going to try to pronounce all those, you know, it's just, Zechariah, I got that one. Um, going on. So you got a whole bunch of people standing up there with him, okay? And um, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Now, again, Language, book, it's really kind of a scroll thing. In the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Uh, going on. Uh, and also, now all these people, okay, caused the people to understand the law. So the people stood in their place. So they read the book of the law of God distinctly. And gave the sense and caused the understanding the reading, caused them to understand the reading. What a lot of Bible scholars believe what happened is Ezra would preach and teach something, and then they would break out into little small groups, and all these other guys would go and answer questions and help people understand what they did, and they come back together and they do it again. They did this for six hours. You know? Uh, they were that dedicated to it. Now, you know, if I stood up tomorrow and said, hey, by the way, next next Sunday the service is gonna be a little long. Um, we're gonna start it. 10, but we'll be done. I guarantee you we'll be out of here by 4. Um, you know, you people, you know I, like, I like the Bible. I don't know that I like the Bible that much. But, but again, because we're saturated with it, we have it. We, we, we can access a lot. So, it, it, you know, these people, though, they were starving for it. And, and so the first thing, and this is, this is where we're going this morning, and so let me talk about how it helps us this week. The first thing these people focused on was the Word of God. Once their city's built, once the walls are all set up, once the people are now safe, they say, okay, let's get down to what's important. Ezra, bring out God's word. We want to know what God has to say. We want to understand it. We want to, we want to embrace it. We want it to be the central of our, of our lives. So two principles. Um, today I had two choices. I can make today a little short. I could try to cover all of chapter 8, and it's going to be long. I went with short because it's potluck, all right? So here we go. So two things, two, two, two clear principles that I want to talk about this morning. And here's the first one. 
Folks, the Word of God's got to be a priority in your life. It really does. Um, if you're serious about walking with the Lord, you're serious about growing, you're serious about being what God wants you to be, the Bible's got to take front and center in your life. Um, it has to become something that is real to you. It has to become, because you see, the Bible is, is, is it, the focus of the Bible is to reveal God to you, for you to understand more about yourself, for you to understand more about God. And if you don't know it, if you're not learning it, then what happens is you tend to miss out on the things that God wants you to know. I mean, think about it for a second. Um, and guys, I get this, okay? When I open a new box to put something together, you know what the last thing I do is? Read the directions. That's exactly right. Because I'm a man, and I'm proud of it, and we don't read directions. And it's easy. I get it. Because you want to be able to do what? You want to be able to step back and go, I didn't need no directions. See how proud I am that I didn't have to follow directions. I could figure out all on my own. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. When I put something together, that's what I want to say. When I get something from IKEA, I want to be able to look at it. You know what? I'm smarter than those Swedish people. Um, you know, I figured it out without, put, without reading the directions. You know what? The one thing you don't want to do that with, though, is life. You know what? If I mess up something from Ikea, I can go back and buy another one and redo it. If I mess up something that I've tried to put together because I didn't follow the directions, you know what I do? I get Gorilla Glue and screws and duct tape and fix it. The problem is when it comes to our lives, the price tag's a whole lot higher. You don't get a do-over. You don't get a mulligan. You want to do it right. And the thing is, God created us, God designed us, God knows how best we can function. He knows how we can function with regards to our marriages, our jobs, our careers, our focus. He knows all of that. And he's laid out a whole series of principles for us in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to say, here's what works. Here's what pays in the end. Here's what gives you the fewest regrets. Here's what gives you the fewest mistakes. Here's the way to do it right. And when you and I ignore it, when we don't value it, when we take a, kind of come to this issue of life and pull the instructions aside and push them aside, it hurts us in the long haul. And, and you've got to understand that. And you and I are so fortunate because we live in a culture. I mean, can you imagine? And, and by the way, You've got to realize, we're talking about fairly recently. It wasn't until 1611 that the, that the Bible was put in the common language of the people for the first time. And, and King James, I don't think he did it because of his religious reasons. He did it mainly because it was a political move. But all of a sudden, he put the Bible in the language of the people to try to get the power away from the church. And he puts the, lang he puts the Bible in the English language and puts it in the hands of people. But you have to realize... There were a whole lot of things historically that had to happen all at the same time, too. The printing press had just come into play. So now for the first time, we can make copies quickly. But even then, the Bible is incredibly expensive. And again, it doesn't matter. If you can't read, then you're stuck anyways. 
But for the first time, the average person could start to read it. And you and I are in a deal right now where, I mean, come on, folks. You know, if you know anything about technology, you can put a Bible app on your phone and have the Bible read to you while you're driving to work over the Bluetooth in your car. You can wake up just about any hour of the day or night and find a Christian radio station somewhere to be able to be taught the Word of God. I mean, do you realize how fortunate we are being in 2018 with all of these resources to be able to have God's Word put into our hearts and lives? I mean, that, that, you know, that, that's a lot. You have to make it a priority. And you go, well, I don't even know where to start. You know what? Don't, 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 don't try to not. I'm going to try to read the Bible in a month. Um, no, don't. You'll get stuck. Uh, you know, about numbers, you'll get really bogged down. You know, look, start small. Like anything else, start small. Take one chapter of Proverbs. Here, here's an easy one. Proverbs has 31 chapters. So if today, what is today? February 4th? Read Proverbs 4. Tomorrow's February 5th? Read Proverbs 5. Do it with the psalm. Do it with, with some of those books that, that where you can just read one book and go, okay, God, you know, teach me something. Second thing is this. Reading it is not enough. That's step one. Step two is you have to apply it. Best Bible teacher I ever had, one of the best Bible teachers I ever had, is a guy who, um, he got saved later in life. He was in the military, and he was an EOD technician, explosive ordnance guy. And, and, you know, as he got to doing that, he started to realize, you know, I probably ought to think about death and what's going to happen afterwards. And through that, he became a Christian. He became Christian, he got heavily involved with the Navigators. And if you know anything about the Navigators, Navigators have an intense program of, of Bible memory. And so he started memorizing a verse a day. And then, before long, he started memorizing entire chapters. And then he proceeded to memorize entire books of the Bible. Went on to get his PhD and to learn to teach Bible. He's now a pastor. I was fortunate to sit underneath him while he was teaching. Uh, he's now a pastor out in Arizona, phenomenal ministry. But um, this is a guy who literally could stand in front of us in class and quote entire books of the Bible. And you want to know what I learned from him more than anything else? Because he drilled this into us as students. He said, God desires a soft heart, not a fat head. Now that's easy to say. That's easy to say if you don't have the background behind it. But here's a guy who has memorized entire books and could have had a fat head. He had a right to a fat head. But you know what? He was more concerned about application. He's really where I learned to take the Bible and say, if you can't apply it, you're wasting your time. And that's why I, I owe a lot of my ministry focus to him because he drilled that into my head about it's about, it's about applying it. It's about applying it. It's about understanding it. It's about making it real in your life today. Not just about reading it and going, okay, I've got the checkbox off, great. I, I, I read Proverbs 4 today. Boom, I'm spiritual, I'm going to move on. It's like, no, learn something in Proverbs 4. One thing, just one simple thing to work on that day. And you do that day after day, line upon line, precept upon precept, and you'll start to learn more about yourself and more about God. And before you know it, you start to grow, and, and God starts to do incredible things in your life because you're knowing more about him, and he's able to work in and through your life. And I want to challenge you because I think so often, you know, I get people who go, 
you know, well, you know, I don't need to, I, you know, I don't need to study it, you know, I'm, I'm you know, it's kind of like the, the, the direction thing, you know, I don't, I don't need that, you know, I don't need, let me, let me try to help you, let me try to help you understand this for a second, if, if in your life, as you go through it, um, as you, as you go through your life, people go, well, I don't, you know, I, I just need the Holy Spirit and I'm okay, that's all I need. You just need the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. Well, there's a problem with that. Okay? And oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, there's a problem with that. And the problem with that is, the problem with that is that you've got to understand the Bible, first of all, it's written in a different language. So it helps you to understand the language. It helps you to understand when you start to get, delve into it and start to study the Bible. It helps you to understand that, okay, in, in the original language, here's what it meant. Because you know as well as I do, anytime you take something from one language to another language, you can lose something. It's in a different context. It's in a different culture. So the more you can understand about the culture that it was spoken in, the more you can understand the deal. Um, it, it's, it depends on your stage of life. For instance, if I stand up here and preach on Psalm 23 today, that's going to mean one thing to you, but let's say six months from now you lose somebody that you care about, and I'm preaching on Psalm 23. It's going to mean something completely different to you. Depends on where you are in your walk with life. The idea is that you apply it. Um, this is really bugging you, isn't it? Okay. I did this to make a point. There's a method behind my madness. Okay? Yeah. I set you up. Because I knew who would be ticked off about it, Josh. Anyway, um, anyway, I set you up because what did I do? I said, yeah, I know, don't worry about it. How much different is that when God points something out in your life and you go, yeah, I know about it, don't worry about it. The purpose of people pointing it out is for what? For me to help me, for me to fix it, Okay. So now you're a little more comfortable, aren't you? Okay? Now you're a little more, now Josh can go, okay, I'll listen to you from here on out. Up until then, you look like a goonie bin. That's my point, though. How is that any different when God points something out in our life and we go, yeah, God, I know about it. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Just give me a little more time. I'll figure it all out. You know, it's not that big a deal, God. And we go through life doing that, not realizing we can look so much better, we can act so much better, God can use us so much better if we fix what he wants to fix. That's why James said, what man looking in a mirror and goes his way just goes, hey, whatever. No, you got up this morning, everybody in here, because I'm looking at you, you looked in the mirror and you went, I got to do something about that. <laughs> Didn't you? Anybody get up this morning and look in the mirror and go, ah, whatever. No. No, we don't do that. You know, that's my wife's deal. My wife's deal, honestly. My wife, you want to, my wife, you want to have the perfect day? She doesn't have to get put on makeup and fix her hair or anything. She just get up and go, you said you'd love me no matter what. This is what you get. You know? Love me as I am, because this, this is how God made me, not how all those chemical companies made me. Um, you know, makeup and hair and spray and... You know. Why? Because we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror and we go, okay, you know what, I need to do something about that, because that's just scary to a lot of people. 
That's the whole purpose of the Word of God. We get it, we read it, we understand it, we do everything we can to apply it, and we go, okay, Lord, you know what? You say that I need to be more kind towards people than, Lord, I need you to help me fix that area of my life. Help me to tuck that in so that doesn't look so bad. Help me to fix that up, Lord. So guide me, Lord, so that I can change, so that I can do something different, so I can be more like you want me to be. Because Not because I'm going I'm to gain brownie points with him. It's because he knows that's the best way for us to live life. And I, I just want to challenge you this morning because I think so many times, particularly those of you who've been around the Bible for a long time, it's kind of easy to just take it for granted and not be applying it to your lives constantly. It's so easy to not look for God in the, in the everyday kind of things because there's nobody here who's got their act all together who you have arrived and there is no more spiritual growth for you to have. We're all in the process of learning and growing. We're all in the process of taking God's word and saying, Lord, okay, Lord, you know, I don't like that, but if I need to change it, I need to change it, so help me change it. Help me to apply it. Help me to use it. You know, help me to help 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 me to take the high road when the world's encouraging me to take the low road. Help me to be kind when everybody else wants me to be mean. Help me to not retaliate when everybody else is telling me to retaliate. Help me to be at peace when Satan wants me to worry. Help me to trust you instead of my career, my job, my finances, my health, my whatever else, my IRA, my what. Help me to learn to trust you, not that. And in that way, what happens is God's word starts to work in our lives and in and through us and before we know it. Before we know it, people are seeing Christ in us. And as people see Christ in us, they want to know more about our God. And they want to know more about Christ, and it gives us opportunities to share Christ with them. Before we know it, we're watching God work in other lives as well as our own. Because God's using us in great ways, and, and that's our ultimate goal. So I want to challenge you this week. Make the Word of God priority this week. But don't just read it. Apply it. And, and I challenge people this. If you've got a goal to read one chapter a day, I would much rather see you read two verses, stop and apply it, and not read the rest of it, than to read all the verses and not do anything about it. And that's what James warns us about. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you're just a hearer, you're kidding yourself. For me to come up here and go, yeah, it's a, don't worry about it. I was kidding myself. It looked bad. I know it looked bad. You saw it. I didn't see it. I wanted to ignore it. But it wasn't until I stopped and did something about it that it makes a difference. Makes sense? I want to end with this. So this week, we have been given an incredible treasure in being able to have the Word of God. May we read it and apply it to our lives each day. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, may we grow in our relationship with him as we apply his teaching to each of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, sometimes we forget just how much we've been given. And Lord, in this book that you have incredibly kept around for so long, 
Lord, you have given us the tools that we need to be able to live life in such a way that is best for us and pleasing to you. So, Lord, help us. Help us as we read it and understand it and try to apply it to our lives, that, Lord, it would make a difference. And, Lord, that we would grow in our relationship to you and that our lives would reflect you in all we say and do. And that, Lord, we would not allow the culture to dictate how we behave and what we do, but rather, Lord, we would be in sync and in tune with your word. So use us this week. May you comfort us, may you encourage us, may you challenge us as we seek to take your word and apply it to our hearts. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together, and uh, we're going to stand.